The reading this morning is from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 20, and can be found on page 1029 of the Pew Bibles. Page 1029, chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Etria and Traconitus, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax has been laid to the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share one, should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather up the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Alistair. Good morning, everyone. Morning. There's some people out there. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. And uh, let's just open with a, a word of prayer, shall we? Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you... Um, for what it says to us about you and, and your salvation. And we pray that you'd give us ears to hear it this morning. And we pray that we'd be ready for the coming Jesus. 
So we pray, Father, that you would be at work amongst us. By your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So please do keep it open in front of you, that reading. And the big question this morning is a very, very stark and straightforward one. Are you ready to meet your maker? Are you ready to meet your maker? I remember very vividly when I was 10 years old, um, my father was a shepherd and he'd just won the East of England Suffolk Sheep Flock competition, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. Uh, This was a a massive deal um, in the farming community um, and winning that uh, event meant that you had to put on a big dinner. It It was maybe a drawback winning because you then had to had to put on a dinner for 100 people. And you had to host it at your farm. That was basically how it worked. And for months, this event dominated family life for us. As preparations were made, uh, we had to paint up all the buildings. We had to um, get uh, um, a marquee up. We had to get uh, special toilet facilities in. Uh, We had to landscape the garden. We had to uh, basically do the driveway, completely overhaul it so all these um, posh cars could come in. And uh, we had to do all sorts of things to make it smooth and straightforward. Um, It was a special day. We had to get ready for it. We had to do lots of preparation. Um, There was all sorts of special dignitaries there. The president of the Suffolk Sheep Society. It might not mean anything to you, but for us it was like a big deal. And um, we had to be ready. Lots of preparation was required. And so how does one get ready in that same vein for, for our maker? How much more true is it for the divine dignitary from heaven, for the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the king that we need to prepare for. It was not, um, of course, until Jesus was in his 30s that he started his um, earthly ministry. Before this, John the Baptist and his cousin began preparing the way, and that's what we've been reading about, preparing the people for the Messiah. He was the last prophet and was fulfilling what was written in Isaiah 40. Let's look at that again in verse 4. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. So in those days... um, a king, if a king was coming to town, uh, they, the king would send an entourage ahead of his arrival to get things ready, to build special roads, uh, to flatten out obstacles. A bit like my father, you know, we had to do all that painting and that straightening out of the, of the, the roads, but on a, obviously a much bigger scale. And you see, Isaiah is saying that before the Lord comes... There will be one sent ahead to prepare the way, to get things and people ready. And that was John's role. And it's still an important role today because Jesus has come and one day he will come again. And it's vital that we are ready. And so are we ready for the King of Kings to live now in our hearts by faith and so be ready when he comes again? John's job 
was to get people ready. And so it's here for us in this passage to get us ready. And there are three things um, that he tells us are important to get ready. Number one, there's a call to repentance. Number two, he gives us a a visual aid, which is baptism. And then he gives us a, a warning to say that I'm not the king. So first of all, a call to repentance. Verse three, he, that's John, went into all the country round the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, of sin. Sin seems to me to such an unpopular word, isn't it, in our world? Often seen as rather bleak or, or negative or understood just purely as breaking some rules or just mocked, isn't it, as a, a, a little bit of naughtiness. Most people, I think, in our world don't see themselves as sinners. So it's really important that we do understand what sin is about. What is sin? Because sin isn't just simply some naughtiness or some negative feeling. It's actually much more fundamental than that. It's uh, what some people call, in a way, the Copernicus problem. You remember Copernicus? Uh, He discovered that the earth was not the center of the universe. Seems obvious to us now, but people didn't believe him then, did they? And sin, therefore, is about us thinking that we are at the center of the universe and that everything else should revolve around me, about me putting me at the center, my desires, in the place of God the Son, S-O-N. And so John is preaching a message of repentance. He's saying it's not like that, that way of thinking. You mustn't. God has to be the center. We, we have to revolve around him. That's what's the essence of sin. And repentance is, is coming to understand that. Uh, and, but it's also not just acknowledging it uh, with our words. It's, it, it's not a, a, just a, a one-off action a one-off instance. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change in our actions and the way that we live. And so John sees the crowd flocking to hear him and it's clear to him that many have not repented, that haven't been changed and it wasn't being seen in their actions. And he's very straight with them. He says in verse 7, he calls them a brood of vipers. Did you notice that? Who warned you? to flee from the coming wrath, a brood of vipers. It's not very tactful, is it? I mean, imagine I got up here and I called you all a bunch of snakes. <laughs> you, you, you'd, uh, you might be offended, wouldn't you? Now, vipers here should remind us of something else. It should remind us of the very beginning of the Bible. It should remind us of Genesis 3, when Satan spoke as a snake, and so John is calling them, in essence, children of the devil. That's what he's calling them. Masquerading as children of Abraham. Sure, you've come out here to listen to me preaching. Um, Sure, you may be even being baptized, but you're not the real thing. You're not the real deal. Because the true repentance is seen in what? It's seen in some fruit, isn't it? It's seen in some change. Repentance leads to action. It's in the way that we live and in our behavior. Verse 8 says that, doesn't it? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, 
we have Abraham as our father. In other words, you know, don't, don't boast in your own religious inheritance. You know, I'm, I'm Jewish, therefore I, I'm fine. I'm British. I, I brought up in a Christian uh, home or I, I, I brought up in this country or I go to church or I had these influences. No, those who are, are ready are those who have repented a change of heart who's put God at the centre that leads to actions. And verse 9, John gives us a very stark reminder of just how urgent this repentance is. The axe has been laid at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And that gets a reaction, doesn't it? It should get a reaction today. A reaction that is there in verse 10, as they say, what should we do then? And so John gives them three examples in verses 11 to 14. You can see them there. Each of those examples is to do with our relationship with with people. Because it's not just about putting God at the centre, but it's also about our repentance, it's about our relationship with others. And notice they're often, they're all to do with money and possessions. See, true repentance of heart leads to action with our relationships, with, with what we have and what God has given us. And that is the evidence of true fruit. That we are generous. That we have a concern for those around us who are, are poor and in need. That we are good stewards with what God has graciously given us. Gemma touched it on it in the prayers, actually. You see, we can get into the way of thinking that repentance is just saying sorry. But repentance is much more. It's an action word. It leads to action. That We don't just sort of say the words here in church or in private and then we go out and it doesn't have any effect on the way that we live. And John's saying being ready for the Lord is a call to true repentance. That's the first thing that we see here about being ready, a call to true repentance. The second thing that John gives us is a visual aid. Uh, He gives us this visual aid, a visual aid of baptism. And what does baptism, what does it speak of? It speaks of two things. It speaks of a bath and a birth. A bath and a birth. So John was going out to Jews and Gentiles and saying to them, you need a bath. Now just think about that for a moment. I mean, how many people have you gone around and said, you need a bath too? It's quite in your face, isn't it, to say to anyone that they stink (laughs) and you need a bath, isn't it? It's quite upfront. But that's effectively what it's saying in this visual aid. And yet John comes along and says, you need a, a bath. Because you're not right to meet God because you stink. And we cannot meet God unless we're made clean. We need to be made clean. And that's what baptism speaks of. If you think about what John has been saying about repentance and the actions that should follow, we all know that we're far from perfect. We are far from perfect that we don't put God at the centre and we don't treat our neighbours as ourselves. So we need to be made clean. Somebody needs to make us clean. 
and give us a bath. And so also we need a new birth, a new start. And that's what Christian baptism is all about. It's not only about going into the water and being made clean, coming out of the water. It gives us new birth. As Jesus says elsewhere, doesn't he? He says, you must be born again in John 3. You must be born again. You cannot do this yourself. You cannot give yourself a bath. You cannot make yourself reborn. It has to be done for you. You need, we need a miracle, don't we? I was thinking about this and I was imagining for a moment um, my cricket skills. Um, I've been working hard on them this summer. Uh, I played two games for the St. John's cricket team. And uh, I scored a few runs, 10. And uh, I've got some wickets. I should say a wicket. And uh, I hear that England are playing South Africa at the moment. Any South Africans in there? Yes. I know there's a few around. (laughs) At the moment. And imagine before the game, I bumped into Ben Stokes. He's the England captain. And I say to him, you know, get chatting. Oh, I've been playing a bit of cricket lately. Um, And uh, I think I'm doing all right. I'd like to offer you my services. So go down to Lord. I I bowl a bit. I bat a bit. I'm a bit of an all-rounder from my team, St. John's. Uh, what do you think, Stokesy? And he turns around and he says to me, Eddie, you need a miracle. <laughs> you need to be a completely different player. <laughs> I don't go away thinking, he thinks I'm okay. Do I? Eddie... He's probably going to say, Eddie, frankly, unless you're a completely different player, a completely, uh, you're never going to break, play cricket for England. You've no hope. I suppose I could say to him, uh, I'll just go home and practice a bit more. You need to be a completely different person. That's what baptism speaks about. It's about the need to be born again. It's not a question of working on this, tinkering around the edges. You need to be a completely different person. You see, the Bible is not a training manual about how to be fit for God. You know, do these 10 things and you will be ready for God. No, it's about him making you ready for God by giving you a bath and a new birth. Has he made you ready? Are you ready for him? It's not about uh, trying to be a bit better person. I'll try and be less gossipy. Try and not lose my temper. The Bible says you haven't got a hope. You need to be a completely different person. You need to be born again. A completely new start. You need a miracle. You need a bath. You need a birth. And baptism speaks about that. And John gives us a visual aid to show how to be ready for that, and how to be ready for the Lord. So that's the second thing that he gives us. And thirdly, John gives us a warning. He's saying, I'm not the king. John says, I'm not the king. Because people were coming, verse 15, uh, and were waiting expectantly, wondering if their hearts, uh, if their hearts, if John might be possibly be the Messiah, that's the king. And verse 16, John says, no, I baptize you with water, 
but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. The task of untying straps of sandals was given to the lowest of the low, given to servants, uh, and um, John is saying, I- I'm not even, I'm not worthy of even that task of the Messiah. John doesn't want us to look at him. He doesn't want us to look at him. All he can do, John can do, is actually make, make people wet in the visual aid. But Jesus can baptize with the Holy Spirit. You see, our dirt is not some sort of physical uh, thing on the outside. We have unclean hearts. Now, our baptism can point to the need of cleansing, but is only an outward visual sign of the inward reality that we all need of cleansing of our hearts. We need a spiritual cleaning, a new birth, a new heart. And John says, I cannot give you that. Only Jesus Christ, the King, can give you that, the one I'm pointing to, the one I'm preparing the way for. He is the one that can clean you. How? How has he made that possible? He's made that possible by his death, isn't it? By a different baptism, one that we will remember through the receiving of bread and wine shortly. By dying on the cross, he died. He he took the punishment upon himself for all our rebellion and sin, completely forgiving us and making us clean. Think about all the sins in your own life and how terrible it makes us feel and the guilt within. But trusting in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, you know you can be completely clean. You can be completely forgiven. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done on the cross. Have you done that? Have you trusted Jesus? It's the most important thing in the world. Have you had a bath and have you ever had a birth? Baptism by the Holy Spirit, whom comes to dwell in the hearts of all who believe. The gospel comes in two parts, doesn't it? A bath, the forgiveness of sin and guilt and wrath. Birth, new birth, transformation, a new life, a new beginning, a new start, empowered by the indwelling spirit. And we need both of those. John says, I can't give you these things. Don't look to me. Jesus alone can do this. And there is an urgency to this. We come back to that urgency. That's why we need to be ready. Look at that in verse 17. His winnowing fork is in the hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so I either have to ask Jesus to purify me by the purifying work of the Holy Spirit, the fire that it talks about, safe with the knowledge that I'm with God forever, or I have to face the punishment fire of future judgment in hell. It's that urgent. It's not me saying this, it's what John is saying and Jesus says elsewhere. That's why John comes, preparing the way, pleading, with people. Repent, be ready. Make sure you're ready here this morning. And as we close, and there are challenges to this, aren't there? Deep challenges 
First of all, the challenge is that, that we shouldn't duck the hard issues. John's using very strong language here. He's saying without the coming Christ, we are not ready for God. Without Jesus, we're not ready for, for the coming judgment. We need to face that reality, face it for ourselves, but also face it for our friends and our family who desperately need Jesus. Don't duck the hard truth. But secondly, don't be a religious sham. You know, it's easy, isn't it, to look outwardly religious, to, to kind of say the right things, to, to come to church, to, to, to be baptised even, but not to be the real deal and just remain unchanged. Because repentance is not just about what we say, it's also how we live. Is it working out into our lives, in our social lives, in our work lives, affecting the way that we use our money and our possessions and the way that we interact with one another? So don't let, let's not make, have a, a religious sham. And thirdly, finally, let, let's not get in the way of Jesus Christ. Because John didn't want to get in the way of Jesus Christ. John had a huge following. Did you notice? A great crowd went out um, to see him and to follow him. And I reckon if, you know, if Twitface existed in his day, you know what Twitface is? I think I mentioned it last time. If tw- he'd have, he would have been easily able to get millions of, of followers and friends on, on, the, on Twitface. But he says, no, don't look at me, don't look at anyone else, look at Jesus. Only he, only Jesus can give you a bath, forgiveness of sins, and only he can give you a birth, new life in the spirit, transformation by the spirit. And all you have to do is receive it, trust in him with all of your life and heart, all your strength and mind. Receive it today. And you will be ready for the coming Jesus.